0: Welcome everyone to Lock the D. And welcome everyone to the OMED and Fish Show. My name is Fish or Rodney Fisher, as uh, those that may know me very well would like to call me. Uh we're gonna come to you guys live on the road, on location for tonight's show. And again, these views, these sports views are brought to you from the south side of the Trinity River. So without further ado, let's bring on the star of our show the man whose opinion is always respected, always, uh, let's say, controversial, I guess is a good word, but always entertaining, none other than
1: Mr. Omi D. What's going on, man? What's going on? Welcome back to a, a great Tuesday. Thanks for that introduction. And, uh, yeah, you know, this is the only podcast where both of us as hosts are constantly on the road, so you never know where we might be doing the show from, but... You know, that livens it
0: up, so it's another hot one. Yeah, yeah, and I'm coming to you guys, actually. Uh, we're, we're in two separate locations, which is the beauty of this show. I'm actually in New England in Connecticut right now, and I got a Whoa. great story to tell you about that. Uh, yeah, I, I got a really good story to tell you about that, especially you as a Denver Broncos fan. would really appreciate some of the sports talk radio that I heard today <laughs> driving around New England. It was it was classic. It was it was really, really something to something
1: to hear. I can't wait to get into that. That's one of those times that you kinda I kinda wish I was in Denver to hear the sports talk radio. Big shout out to uh, the Duchess of Denver up there in Denver. because uh, I wanted to hear what was going on and I definitely wanted to hear what those Patriot fans were saying, but we'll get into that later on when we get in the NFL. I'm sure I got some stuff I like to say on that game as well. No kidding.
0: Well, again, I want to remind everybody you can go to iTunes and download the podcast there and search for Omidy and Fish, or you can go to iHeartRadio now and get the podcast and search for Omidy and Fish, or go to our website, ntxgame.com, and sign up, be a subscriber, get every all of our events that we do, the live broadcast, everything um, right there, ntxgame.com. So let's jump right into our first topic tonight, which, of course, is probably I think our most heated debate we had on the show last week, outside of um, talking about guys that may be hitting their wife in the car, Uh, and that had to be the college football playoff rankings. So the new rankings are out, um, and everybody's been kind of waiting to see how we're going to react to them. And I really want to get your reaction, because now we see the four teams, really no big change. Uh, Clemson number one, Alabama two, Oklahoma three, Iowa four. So they've got Clemson and Iowa playing each other in the Capital One Orange Bowl that'll be on uh, New Year's Eve, and then Alabama playing Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl that's on New Year's Eve as well too. Um, so, so that's kind of what they have going on as a semifinal and of course the final game. So, let me get your reaction to really the top four before we jump into the whole list of of top twenty five. Okay.
1: Well, of course, as you know, the top four didn't change much, as we said. You know, Clemson still being the number one team. Um, Alabama, of course, like I said, they played a really good game this weekend against Auburn. Uh, Auburn played them tough. Huge, huge, huge matchup in the Iron Bowl for uh, Alabama, but, you know, they pulled it off. So I'd say they deserve to be somewhere around number two. Oklahoma, though, Went into the battle at Bedlam, and, I mean, they just pretty much showed out Baker Mayfield. Oh, yeah. Showed, showed exactly what Baker Mayfield is as a uh, a Big 12 quarterback and an NCAA quarterback being able to handle the pressure of the Oklahoma State blitz. So I'm looking forward to seeing Oklahoma and Alabama face off Um Last time Alabama and Oklahoma faced off, I believe it was the Sugar Bowl, and that started Mm -hmm. the downslide of of what is Alabama's current bowl streak right now. And the way Oklahoma's defense played against Oklahoma State, if they can do something about uh, Henry on the run, they've got a good chance because Coker, I believe the quarterback is his last name for uh, Alabama, is okay, but he's no Baker Mayfield. And then we got number four, In they uh squeezing it in, Iowa undefeated. Um, people, A lot of people are still saying Iowa hasn't really been tested by anyone yet. But to me, an undefeated team in D1 football is an undefeated team in D1 football. But they'll have their hands full this weekend face off against uh, Michigan State because we've got a lot, another good round of games this weekend.
0: Well, you're right. There was no change at the top. And even Michigan State is still ranked at number five, same as they were last week. And, of course, we know that game is going to be who gets that fourth and final spot. Will it be Michigan State? Will it be Iowa? Um, you know, The question I want to ask you, Omidy, because you, you know, Mr. Telgate State, you really have an eye for what's going on in college football because it's such a passion of yours. But well, what I want to ask you is really kind of, you know, what has to happen for any of those four teams to fall out of the top four? Now we know, you know, and 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 let me just go back and give you a little bit, of, a little bit of kind of case study for my question. So last year, we know that there was a Big Twelve team, mainly Baylor, who was in the top four going into this final week of uh, of the conference championships. Well, they were penalized basically because they didn't have a conference championship and moved out of their fourth spot and were replaced by a team that had one. So I guess my first question is, is Oklahoma without having a big 12 conference championship game, do they run the risk of losing that third spot if say, um, say Michigan state does beat Iowa, but they want to put them both in there or say Michigan state beats Iowa Uh, or and they want to move Ohio State up, who only has one loss, and is defending national champion. Um, You look at, you know, North Carolina and Clemson have to play. So what happens if North Carolina beats Clemson? Do they move into the top four? So there's still a couple scenarios out there that could shake things up, but is there anything possible that would happen to move a Big 12 team out of that top four college football playoff ranking?
1: (laughs) I'm going to say as it stands, Looking at the rankings, no. I feel that if Michigan State is to beat Iowa, there's going to be a huge discussion for the voters and the people sitting at their table this season if they're going to put Iowa in, Michigan State in, or Ohio State. But I'm going to say that if Michigan State beats Iowa and they technically beat Ohio State, Michigan State would have to go into the number four spot. Oklahoma, without having to play this season, play a championship game. I don't think this time, the problem last year's uh, situation, TCU and Oklahoma had the same record, and the only difference between them was um, Baylor lost. No, TCU and Baylor had the same record, excuse me. And the only difference was that Baylor beat TCU at home. And the point spread wasn't really big enough to decide the winner because it became a tie for that um, in that that conference. So, But right now, <clears throat> as it stands in the Big 12, there's a clear-cut uh, uh, champion. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, well, no. There's nothing that I, I can foresee because even if Stanford is to win the, uh, the Pac-12 title, they're still mm-hmm. not beating anyone that's going to move someone out of the top four. So the only thing that could really shake anything up this this week it would be the loss uh Simpson losing to um, to North Carolina or Alabama losing to Florida in their championship games. Well let's play well, let's play, you know, let's play
0: devil's let ab- let's play devil's advocate. So let's say that does happen. Let's say Florida loses to Alabama
2: and then let's mm-hmm. say
0: that uh, Clemson loses to North Carolina. Who is in the top mm-hmm. four then? All right.
1: Well, you asked that because I was going over that earlier today when I was looking at these things. So Clemson loses to North Carolina. They're going to drop down to probably number six. Ohio really? State would move up really? to number, yep, or, or, or maybe number seven. They might move down to number seven. That's a big loss. To lose to a number 10 team and you're a number one team, you're going to have to drop, <clears throat> you know, they're going to drop six spots at least, at least five. They'll be out of the top four. They'll be gone. If they lose in North Carolina, they're out of the top four. Alabama, even, even, though, they've been the, four.
0: They've, even though they've been, even though they've I don't mean to talk over you, but even though they've been the number one team over the last consecutive, what,
1: four weeks, they're going to oh, yeah, move
0: out of the, out of the top four by losing one
1: game? By losing, it's not only are they losing one game, but you're losing one game in the wrong time to lose the game. And it's going to knock you down to 11 and 1. <clears throat> you lose to a team like North Carolina, <clears throat> which is only a top 10 team after what everybody's feeling like is a weak ACC uh, schedule. So, you know, that's going to kind of give everybody a thing about, okay, North Carolina really is stronger. The Clemson, Clemson really. Solidify what we felt was going on in the ACC, that it wasn't that strong of a conference and they just ran through and were undefeated. So I feel like that's going to knock down out of the top four because at that point, you still have a bunch of 11-1 and teams, and if Iowa wins and beats Michigan State, that would put them 13-0. And at that point, you have to put the undefeated team as the number one team in the nation. Because is not the, defeating, the, the defending team, but that's how I feel they would have to put the number one team. But in this scenario, we're saying Alabama loses to Florida as well. And Florida's ranked number 18, so if Alabama would lose to Florida, I think that would knock them out of the top uh, four as well. So in this scenario, Oklahoma, Iowa, let's say Iowa beats Michigan State. Iowa would be number one. Oklahoma would be number two. I'm going to say they would probably move Ohio State into number three. And maybe Clemson would stay at number four. Maybe. Because Iowa would have just beat Michigan State. And maybe they might move Ohio State back in there as number four. So, But right now with Michigan State and Ohio on that, that I'm not going to say Michigan State and Ohio. Ohio is on the edge of the window looking in. Because Michigan State and Iowa, one of those is going to fall. So, Ohio State, <clears throat> Ohio State in this scenario would be the Cinderella and would get the number four spot and have to face know, again. Yeah. Well, you,
0: you know, I do agree with you, number one. I, I think of any of those teams that are out of the top four right now, the one that has the best chance of getting in there is Michigan State, of course, if they beat Iowa. But really, Ohio State, because if Michigan State beats beats Iowa – and they move into that fourth spot. Well, the only team Ohio State has lost to as the defending national champion is the number four ranked team in the country. And how could you not allow a team to defend this title with one loss on their record? I mean, one loss, only one loss. How do they not get an opportunity to defend their title? For some reason, I have a funny feeling. That Ohio State is going to take somebody's spot in that top four. I, I think it's. I think it's going to happen.
1: You know, it's, it's a really good chance. If Michigan, like we said, <clears throat> right now, if Michigan State beats Iowa, they're in. If if any one of the top two teams, Clemson or Alabama, loses, Ohio State's in. Right now, that is probably going to leave whoever is. Uh, number four, number five can end, and if Stanford loses, that's going to move Notre Dame probably up to six. So, well, no, no, Clemson will probably be around there. But I'm hoping Alabama drops down to, like, nine, and they're out of it this week. So, go Gators. <laughs> I know you're rooting for that. So, so overall, uh,
0: <laughs> so overall, give me your impression of this kind of second year of college football playoffs, where we're at right now. Uh, do you feel like the committee has finally gotten it right? Do you feel like they're still missing a lot of holes in it or different teams? Just uh, your overall thought um, about the
1: system at this point. Overall, I think the committee is getting it fairly right. I think you got some misses <clears throat> down in the bottom 20, or the bottom, excuse me, 19. Number 19, you got U of H at 11-1 and one, um, with only one loss. You know, I think it's it's getting to a point that they're getting it right. It's getting college football rolling to the direction that it needs to get to rolling, Um, possibly, as we said before last season on Calgate State, into the eight-game playoff system. But I'm hoping it also gets college football because, you know, we got to look at the SEC's record in bowl games last year. And we'll have to look at the SEC's record in bowl games this year. And we'll have to look at all of these other schools in bowl games, and let's see if these schools that we are putting in the top five for so long, and then they're coming in, and they normally do, you know, like the Big Ten or the school from the Sun Belt or something in a a bowl, like the Armed Forces Bowl or the Chick-fil-A Bowl or something like that. But we have to really start taking into account the losses that these big name schools are taking, or as we call them big name schools, are taking to some of these schools like U of H. You know, we got to start looking at Maybe somehow start crossing conferences. <clears throat> I've said this before. You sit there and you beat up on the SEC all day long, and you then you face Pac-12 talent, and you're not able to 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 uh to 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 uh to match up. Same thing with Pac-12. They came up against Big Ten conference and and got just just pummeled. So you got to think: is is it a thing of is it just coaching? Is it thing that that regionally that there are so many different types of talent that these schools aren't getting to play against one another. So it does look good for them to beat up against one another. But in the grand scheme of things, when bowl season hits, which is a playoff, you see that some of these conferences aren't as strong as they should be. But, you know, as of now, the top four, they have it right. It's a tough thing to do because it still goes into what this is championship week. And, um, Championship week is so tough because you have a school like Florida who's, you know, not anywhere in the top ten but has a chance of knocking a team like Alabama, which I'm not rooting for Alabama by any means necessary, but can knock Alabama out in a championship game. It is still part of the season. And, you know, people feel like the Big 12 should have a championship game. But, you know, if your team is strong enough to win all the way through, then Alabama should win a championship game and remain in the top four. But, you know, that's the beauty of what is college football. As long as there is no playoff system like uh, NFL, it's going to be this drama. But I do see one thing from a standpoint of a fan, a critic, and, you know, a member of the media, I can see that the hype of college football has now been corralled. You know, last Mm. year it was like, it was just like Wild West shoot 'em up oh, my God, whoa, boom. Like, every week it was just like, what the crap is going on, you know? Or <laughs> now it's just, you know, now it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. This is this is how it is. It's college football playoff. It's like the NFL playoffs now. It's like everybody's content with the system, and they feel like there's a flow, and it, it really does have a flow. And look at look at it now. Both of the biggest games are on New Year's Eve. That's a huge thing. Let's think about this from a money standpoint, fish you're competing with the biggest night in entertainment <laughs> trip yeah. to the Super Bowl. You know, people are going to go out. They're going to be out till midnight. They're going to be partying and drinking. But mm-hmm. you know what I think they've done? They found a whole new crowd of people like me who don't give a flying flipper about being out and getting drunk with a bunch of people that I don't really want to see in the New Year anyway or don't ever plan on seeing again. But... um I do like the idea of throwing a New Year's Eve college football party and streaming it with some good friends, some good food, some good drinks. And, like uh, that. Yeah, I think they're doing a really good thing, but there's, there's Shea playoffs. You know how the AFC championship and the NFC championship are on the same day? Right, 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 right. I think, I think they're, they're gearing it up to see, okay, how much money can we really generate right now putting it on these days? But. You know, it's going to be a tough sale because they got Jimmy Kimmel singing all kinds of commercials and stuff right now. Trying <laughs> to get everybody to stay home and watch it. But,
0: you well, know, I think they got well, a good chance you, you mentioned the money aspect of it. So, they call it the New Year's Six. So, this is the way the New Year's Six would shape up right now. On New Year's Eve, you'd have your first game would be at 12 p.m. Eastern, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which if the ranking stayed the same, would include Houston versus Florida State. Then at 4 p.m., you're going to either have the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. 8 p.m. would be the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl, whichever one they decide to air. But then the next day on uh, January 1st, at 1 p.m., you have a Fiesta Bowl, which would be Ohio State versus Notre Dame. And then at 5 p.m. Will be the Rose Bowl, Michigan State versus Stanford. And 8.30, that night, Cap, would be Oklahoma State taking on Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl, if every, everything stays the same um so again you mentioned a big money grab those six t- six games with those teams that travel very well uh big bowl games it's gonna be a huge huge money grab for the ncaa
1: yeah i'm thinking so it's looking like as i said as was heard there is the um the name that team. U of H, the Cougars are facing off against Florida State. I'm really excited about that game. It might be the most exciting game of the day. If U of H can topple a team like Florida State, that's going to make and a get-
3: huge statement for yeah. uh,
1: integrating some of these schools and possibly it's going to be a huge call to the Big 12 that maybe you need to include those Houston Cougars in your the, your conference because mm. we're starting to build a program down there. They seem to almost got kind of to deal with their coach almost. He hadn't signed, but he said he's coming back. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's shaping up. like you said. They've got two full days of college football, and, you know, I'm not making any chitlins at my house, so I'm going to sit up and watch college football all day long. So that's going to yeah. be New Year's yeah. Eve. I might, I might be drunk watching college football, and I might sober up the next day watching college football again. I think it's awesome, man. You said money grab. Like, look at that. Look at the commercials that you can run on New Year's Eve when you know people are sitting home watching those kinds of things. It's going to be huge. It's going to be like a Super Bowl thing if they keep this this kind of trend up.
0: Yeah, and I'll probably be drunk right along with you. So any, yeah. of, you, any of you guys that are out there planning to get drunk and watch college football, maybe we got to plan some type of event. So if you want us to come and host your get drunk, watch college football New Year's Eve party, just hit us up, <laughs> hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on oh, yeah. ntsgame.com. dot com, and hey, we may come out there and just get drunk and watch college football with you. We're we're those kind of guys, so who
3: knows? Hey, who
1: knows? We can even we can even set the studio up and broadcast from your spot, you know. And we're totally down with that. I'll even bring a bottle, and we will travel. So if you want us to come watch college football with it, with you, even better. If you got a suite at one of the college football games and you want us to come out and watch football and broadcast your party, we'll do that. Just hit us up.
0: Yeah, just hit us up. It's it's that easy. It's really that easy. All right, let's jump into a little bit more of a kind of a sore topic to talk about, um, and and that's to talk about what happened uh, Thanksgiving. um so, you know, I just got through eating my Thanksgiving dinner. I'm sitting down, getting ready to watch the Cowboys game. And I saw probably 90 minutes of the worst Cowboys football I've ever seen. In 90 minutes alone, we saw Romo throw pick sixes. Uh, we saw the Carolina Panthers run right over us. And then we saw Romo get hurt again, uh, broken collarbone what? again. Uh, out again. Uh, now we're three and eight. And you know, and, and as a Cowboy fan, and and I've and I've said this for a long time, and and I'm gonna say it again. I'm I am a diehard silver and blue Cowboy fan, but I have never really been able to get all the way a hundred percent behind Tony Romo, and, and and the reason why is because. I just go back and I look and I say, for a guy to have all these records, passing yards, passing attempts, starting uh, games, to to, be, to go down in the history books for stats is one of the greatest Cowboy quarterbacks ever in terms of stats only, in terms of pay, he's been the highest-paid Cowboy quarterback, highest-paid Cowboy ever, but you only have two playoff wins, you've got no Super Bowls. And now you're getting hurt year and year, year after year. I mean, since the back injury, he's been getting hurt every year. It's something always happens. So as a Cowboy fan, I really feel like, D that this is like, if the writing's not on the wall now, that this is the end of the Romo era. You know, I know he's, what, 34? Uh, mm-hmm. This has got to be this has got to be the end of the era. You can't rely on this guy for the next, you know, next season. You, you can't you can't rely on him anymore. You got to draft a quarterback. Now you're three and eight. He's not coming back. Okay. This is the year that you get that high draft pick. This is the year where you suck, and you get a high draft pick and you draft a quarterback to play behind this guy. No more Matt Castles. No more Brandon Whedons, no more John Kidners, no more Kyle Ortons. We've gotta find a quarterback to play with these young guys that we have on the team. It just I don't understand why that's not a no brander. So so today I I'm, I'm I'm in Connect. I'm driving through New England today and they're playing mm-hmm. some audio from Jerry Jones who was on the fan today. He's on he's on the fan there locally every Tuesday morning in Dallas. And, and and Jerry Jones has the audacity, the, the, unmitigated, the unmitigated gall to get upset at the host of the show for them questioning does he need to draft a quarterback and get ready to replace Romo. And, and this is what, what his quote said. He said, this is not a damn debate, guys. You're asking me what I think, and I think we've got an outstanding quarterback ahead of us for the next four or five years. Four or five years? Four or five years? A- am I missing something? I mean, am I just not – I'm not
1: comprehending
0: this at all.
1: I think I think maybe we might be missing the fact that Jerry Jones might be changing color tone. And maybe he's looking at Jameel Showers on his practice squad, as we've got a decent quarterback for the next four or five years if we can just get him uh, working. I mean, because Tony Romo, and let me, you're right on everything that you said, Fish. starting with the fact that you are a true Cowboys fan, diehard Cowboys fan, because three weeks ago, all the Cowboys fans were talking about, yeah, everybody was talking shit about Romo now, and Romo's this, and this guy's a top-tier quarterback, this, this, there, and the other. And now Romo's hurt. everybody's going, Romo, it's time to get a new quarterback, and he's out of here. This is that and the other. But it is the writing on the wall. It's huge. It should be spray-painted like some something that came straight out of the 80s movie like American Graffiti or Breaking or something that you need to start thinking about what's the quarterback situation. I think I've said it before, If you don't remember the early 2000s, the Quincy Carters and the Drew Bledsoe errors and the the things where there was no quarterback situation in Dallas, yeah, you better start figuring something out because it's not looking good for Tony Romo. I will say this, and we didn't get this rolling uh, at the beginning of of football season, but you might have remembered me saying this when it came down to the Tony Romo injuries and the Dez Bryant injuries, and I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm more diehard than most people realize because I still see light at the end of the tunnel the Cowboys being in the playoffs. But I said Tony Romo should not have come back until the game, probably after this one. The mm-hmm. now this one coming up because they play the Redskins. This is the game I felt like Tony Romo should have come back in the in the regular action. Him and Dez. Because at that point, we the division was struggling. It was weak. We were only two games behind. Well, one game behind, and we just needed some things to go our way. But either way it goes, if we beat Washington the last two games of the season, we would have stood a chance to been in it in our division. And we still do as the Dallas Cowboys. We have to beat Washington these two games. Uh, the Giants have to lose to Philadelphia because they just lost to Washington. They have to lose to Philadelphia coming up, and Washington has to lose one more game. And I think they got to play Philly one more time, and if the Cowboys beat the Eagles one more time at the end, I think everybody will be tied a top, tie, you know, at the same record in the NFC. And of course, everybody beat up on the Eagles, but in the NFC, and it's going to go down to tiebreakers, and the Cowboys. Beating the Redskins two games should take it, but like I said, well, I, that's a miracle to happen right now.
0: But, you know, I, I you know I, I I hear that strategy, and you know there's a part of me that says, hey, there's a chance we can still get in there, but but my thing, this is where I look at the situation now, Jerry, and if I could sit down and have a, a, a glass of Johnny Walker Blue with Jerry right now. We'd have a cigar, Johnny Walker Blue, sit in the suite, and i just have a conversation with him and tell him, look, Jerry, you've got a built-in excuse right now to suck. You, no yeah, one's going to be mad right. at you if you lose the rest of these games. No one's going to be upset if you go 3-13. and 13. Nobody's going to be mad. You don't have your quarterback. And you lost, you lost seven straight games without him. Now he's hurt again. You can lose the next five games. No one's going to be upset. No one's going to be mad. No one's going to want to get rid of you. No one's going to be hollering fire Jerry or get him out of GM. you got a built-in excuse to be the worst team in the league, get the best draft pick you can, and pick a quarterback. you you got a built-in excuse. I don't know who's advising Jerry and I know Steven is not smart enough to come up with this, but I would sit across the table and tell Jerry, look, man, this is your chance to draft a good quarterback. You mentioned some of the guys that, you know, I watched that kid from Michigan play over the weekend, and to me he made every NFL throw imaginable. He's had a year under Harbaugh, and he looks like he could go and start for the 49ers. I mean, there are some quarterbacks out there that could really play that could really play. You can go get a guy. Matt Castle, Brandon Wheaton, uh, you know, any of these backup quarterbacks you see in the league right now, I mean there's only one backup quarterback in the league that's doing anything. He's forty years old. His name is Hasselbeck. That's it. Yeah. Everybody else can't can't win a game.
1: You gotta build
0: an excuse to get the number one pick.
1: Why would you, you why know, would you baby. not do it? And the thing about it is you make the best point ever. You have the built-in excuse, even from a fandom standpoint. Fans are just like, well, we suck now. Let's just get the number one draft pick. And, of course, everybody's looking at drafting a quarterback. But what if we do go through and suck? And then, you know, you got to tell all these guys, all right, we're going to dial it back. We're going to put a bunch of rookies in here now. You know, do you – at some point you gotta play the Redskins game. You gotta yeah. leave your starters in and you gotta play the Redskins game and you've got to win that game. Okay, if you win that game, then you play on. If you lose that game to the skins, that completely puts you out of the playoff picture. You're completely out of the wild card picture. You're completely out of the playoff picture. It's time to start planning and playing like you're the LA Lakers you know it, it it's the done deal so i have to agree like you sitting down with jerry on the on the with the with the, uh, the, the johnny walker blue yeah man it's it's time to look but do you think jerry is honestly going to take a quarterback in the draft man how could he
0: not how could he not how
1: could but he not take one but do you think he is? I think he'll end up taking a running back with his first pick. Mm, you should have did that this past year. I mean, it's look, I can go
0: on and on and on with what me and Jared would talk about. We got a lot to discuss, okay? But, man, this this is your opportunity. This is the chance that you have to keep Romo on your roster, have a bad season, and no one will blame you for it. This This is the chance.
1: Dude. This is the Dude. opportunity
0: to do that.
1: It's the perfect opportunity. And it's the perfect opportunity for you to get, like you said, your future of your team to get them there and have them sitting behind the guy or even working behind the guy or with the guy when he's injured to learn an NFL-style offense and be the next prototype quarterback. to an The Aaron Rodgers story. Hmm. You know? Right. Sit behind Brett Favre for three four seasons. Heck, let's look at Denver. It might be the Brock Osweiler story. You been behind Caden right. Manning for a couple of good seasons and you come out and you win three games, Not only win three games, but you topple the AFC Giants, New England Patriots. So Yeah, we're yeah. gonna talk we're
0: gonna talk about that 'cause I, I got some I got some questions I'm gonna ask you about Brock Osweiler. That's a that's a good segue to that, but before we jump right into it, the last thing i want going to ask you about the Cowboys, and I pondered this as I'm driving through the, the wooded areas of Connecticut today, is what was the first mistake? You know, anytime you have a season like this where it's a mistake on top of a mistake and, and the ball is rolling downhill, so sort to of speak, and everything's getting worse and worse and worse, what was the first mistake? Was the first mistake not... Signing Demarco Murray was the first mistake. Not drafting a running back was it? Keeping Joseph Randall, who claimed there was still meat on the bone, who was just arrested last week, He wasn't even on the roster. Was it bringing in Greg Hardy? Uh, was it you know keeping Brandon Whedon? Was it was it? What what was the first mistake in your mind to this disastrous season?
1: I'm gonna say the first mistake. The first mistake was putting Tony Romo back in too early. Hmm. That's what I'm going to say the first mistake was. He said said, said everything was was fine up until then? I'm going to say everything was playable and playoffable until then. Because I'm still standing on the fact that had you done these injury recoveries the correct way, knowing one thing, that if a rock is rolling down the hill, you don't try to stop it while it's rolling, you make a plan to either slow it down or what you're going to do when it gets to the bottom of the hill. And I don't think the Cowboys oh. really ever saw themselves heading downhill until they realized it was too late and they were already down there. And then they had they they, they got that point point. they panicked. They wanted to bring Romo back. And I think the fans kind of had something to do with them screaming, Romo needs to come back, man. Eight weeks. Is eight weeks on an injury, and yes, your opposite throwing arm, but man, that's a bone. And like you said, you're getting old in football years, and you're not going to recover as fast as you did in your 20s, and that bone is not going to mend. So he needed some extra time, and they didn't need him back. So, yeah, I came by putting Romo in too early, but if you want me to say something that happened early in the season, yeah, I'm going to say keeping Dunbar and Randall and uh, not clearing some room for DeMarco, but... I think also that came on DeMarco by wanting so much more money and going to Philadelphia, and he still is having no chance. So can't always be greedy. Well, well I, I think you I think you had a good point where
0: you said if a rock is rolling downhill, you don't jump in front of it to try to stop it. You try to first of all make it some type of plan <laughs> about how you're going to slow the rock yeah. down. And throwing Romo out there was kind of like, okay, well, throw Romo in front of the rock. He'll stop it. And it didn't work out like that. To me, I think the first mistake is not keeping that team you had last year, the 12 and 14, not not keeping them together. Uh, That that was the first mistake. You had a team. You had guys that were there that that had a mission. It felt like they left some food on the table, so to speak. They wanted to go back and continue what they had the the previous season. And then you let everybody kind of go on. About their ways, you know, Demarco Murray, a few other guys, and I, I just feel like not keeping that team together the way it was was, was the first mistake that helped kind of make this a di- disastrous season. But Jerry, if you're listening to me, come on, man, this is it. This is it, Jerry. I'm, I'm I'm gonna put some faith in you here, but I'm losing it really fast. So, you mentioned quarterbacks and backups, so I want to talk about your Denver Broncos real quick and get your thoughts on uh, what was a beautiful Sunday night game. As everyone knows, I'm not a New England Patriots fan by any means. And uh, to see them lose like that to Osweiler, a backup quarterback, the understudy, understudy of Peyton Manning, come out there and win that game. And then the way they won in overtime, running the football, it was great to see. So I want to get your take on kind of kind of how you felt about that win and what this means
1: for Denver overall. Well, <laughs> uh, as a Denver Broncos fan, that was a great win. Um, you follow me on Twitter at uh, the777kid. I say a future looks pretty good for the Broncos with Brock Osweiler. I mean – The guy was making some throws,
3: and, you know,
1: it was his first start, and it was a a rough field. It was cold in Denver, snowy. You know, things weren't even really going the way that Tom Brady likes to go. And, you know, they used to playing in crap uh, up there in in, uh, crap England. But it was good to see the running game, CJ Anderson get his legs under him and get down the field. And then Osweiler – You know, he figured it out. He figured out how to throw a ball in conditions like that to give his receiver an opportunity. You know, you can't throw them on a rope because they can't react as fast. You just have to let them get in position and throw it up. And that's what he did twice. He did it to Sanders. We got him down there, and he did it uh, to Demarius Thomas with two key grabs uh, that kind of really broke New England's back. But, you know, New England, I will give them – this much, you know, they didn't have Amendola, they didn't have Edelman, and, you know, then Gronkowski got hurt, and their feelings were all hurt, so, you know, that's their excuse for losing, that we lost Gronkowski, and we were all, like, down and stuff, and that pretty much just ended the game for us, like, you know, they're not an NFL-quality team without Gronkowski, but, you know, I'm not going to say who's a whiny baby, but... go <laughs> well, well, let
0: me- well, let me tell you who they're blaming because all day today I'm listening to 937 WEEI here in Boston that where they call themselves the Patriot station. Um and all day, all day, every call, every person, every guest from Teddy Bruski to Rodney Harrison, everybody that was on the show on the radio with them today blames the referees. I mean, you have people calling in saying, that, oh, it's a conspiracy theory because the NFL doesn't like Brady or the NFL doesn't like the Patriots. The referees blew that game. I mean, they gave the Broncos zero credit, zero credit for winning that game. I mean, none. I mean, the, every host I heard today blamed the referees. This should have been called. That should be been called. He missed that call. He missed this call. The referees uh, took their game from us. No one talked about the injuries. No one talked about Brock Osweiler, what he did, the Denver defense. I mean, none of that. The running game or the the inability for the Patriots to stop the running game with C.J. Anderson, nobody talked about that at all. It was 100% blame the referees. That's all well, bro, they wanted to do.
1: What do you expect a bunch of cheaters to do that – when you don't get calls on your way, because you know what, Here, here's what I heard. That wasn't a, uh offensive pass interference against Gronkowski. He's been called yeah. for that three times this season. Clearly, right. these are the same analysts, Brewskis and Harrisons, that are saying that Dez Bryant didn't make the catch because by the rule letter of the book, that wasn't a catch. Well, you know what? By the letter of the book, if you extend your arm, that's pass interference. Okay. Now, let's look at the other call that all the little New England Patriots, the cheaters, are complaining about, that they get away with plenty of crap. But let's look at the holding, the uh, pass interference in the end zone that negated the sack that would have brought up like a third and 19 and put, the, right. uh, you know, put Rashe Carwell into the hero spot. But by the book, the receiver – Turned, and the defense back grabbed his opposite shoulder. That is pass interference. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Whether you want to, whether whether the guy was going down, he was trying to make the throw, he couldn't turn around fast enough for the guy to make the decision because he was held. You know, granted, had that been Danny Amendola, they'd have been all crying and stuff. They got away with a hold in the end zone. And Tom Brady and them, you know, same thing. I just get tired of the Patriot fans complaining. Have you ever just watched the New England Patriots game, bro, and seen how many times Tom Brady is signaling for them to be reset? Yeah. Just just watch. And have you ever seen – I've seen it happen twice, that there was no reason for them to reset the play clock. And he just did it, and the referee reset the play clock.
3: Yeah, too.
1: I'm like, whoa, whoa. How did Tom Brady get a, get a play clock reset? Just because he walks out on the field and starts doing the reset. But, like, see, people that complain about stuff like that are people that know the rules so very well because they bend them all the time. The Patriots are a team, and they said this. I heard this on a couple of local stations down here. Oh, I was amazed that Bill Belichick didn't know that rule about the timeout. He seems to know every other rule in the NFL that is correct because he knows how to cheat and bend every rule. Excuse, <laughs> he knows how to bend every rule to get away with everything, and then every time they get caught, it's like, oh, well, we didn't know we couldn't do deflate football. Oh, we didn't know we couldn't take practice. Oh, we didn't know we couldn't use drones. Like it, it's it's, it's 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 the silliest thing for them to always be complaining. It's like it's like the Patriots are just this team that's ordained by God and Jesus themselves, and they can't <laughs> do anything wrong. It's like, oh, the Patriots—they lost the game. They couldn't have lost it because the team was better the referees had to have stopped them from winning that game. Like the referees didn't blow any other freaking calls against the Broncos, but nobody wants to talk about those because we won the game. Who cares what calls oh they God. blew against us? Uh,
0: Omidia, I mean, let me just tell you, it was, it was sickening. It was disgusting the way they were just putting all the blame on the league, on the on the referees and I even I even heard the conspiracy theory that ESPN hates the Patriots because apparently they put up a post today with their new uh power rankings, right? So they had mm-hmm. uh of course Carolina is number one, they had uh New England at two, Denver at three, right? And the picture, mm-hmm. the graphic that they put up for the power rankings had uh, a picture of Cam Newton kind of dancing in the end zone, had a picture oh, yeah, of uh, Brock, Brock Waswiler kind of running away, throwing a ball, right? But then had a mm-hmm. picture of Tom Brady getting sacked, <laughs> okay? And they kept, they called in for an hour complaining about how ESPN hates the Patriots, right? And ESPN is located oh, in Bristol, Connecticut, <laughs> okay? They're in <laughs> New England, they employ you know, a bunch of people that that play for New England, okay? So it's like, are you serious? I, I mean, it, it was it was utterly disgusting and sickening. I mean, all day they blamed everybody else. And they never gave the, the Broncos any credit, never gave the Divas any credit for getting to Brady and, and hitting them, never gave C.J. Anderson any credit for the way he ran in those uh, kind of rough of weather conditions never gave him any credit for Osweiler in his second start as a really a rookie, you know, uh, to come in there in a big game like that in front of millions of people watching and, and to win against the Patriots, the undefeated team, gave him no credit whatsoever, and I, it, it was really, it was disgusting. It, it was really disgusting, and you can you can imagine. I'm listening like, I can't believe it. I wish I wish I, I, I would have recorded it and played it on the show tonight because it was. It was unbelievable what I was hearing. But I want to ask you a quick Denver question because we're going to talk about Kobe's retirement before we close out the show. Here's the Denver question I want to ask you. As a Denver Broncos fan, if Peyton Manning would have played that game, would they have won that game?
1: I'm going to say no. If, If Peyton Manning would have started that game, I'm going to say no. What I've seen from Peyton Manning all year, uh, whether they want to say Peyton Manning's hurt, Peyton Manning, this, Peyton Manning's still one of the greatest minds of the game, all of this is true. But Peyton Manning is not 100% physically Peyton Manning. And one thing about that, when your team starts to lack or, or feel that you're lacking, then they start lacking confidence in you, especially in the plays. Like, oh, I'm having to come back to a lot of balls I didn't used to have to come back to, you know. Um, and I just don't think that he's he's at that level right now, you know, watching him this season. He's made some good throws, but you're going to have to design an offense around Peyton Manning and his condition uh, to get him to win. You're not going to be able to go down field 30, 40 yards. Anymore, and you're not going to get much of a scrambling option with Peyton Manning at all. So, you know, um, and honestly, I'll tell you, I hope they don't put Peyton Manning in until Brock Osweiler starts messing up. Well, that, that's because, that's uh,
0: My next question is: is what happens when, Peyton, you know, say Osweiler keeps winning um, and Peyton comes back to his hand, ready to go back in? I mean,
1: do you have?
0: Does Elway have that difficult? Discussion with Peyton now and say, "Hey, look, we're, we're moving to the future." Or, I mean, what, what happens? You know, when when
1: he does say he's ready to go back. You know, I think you have two. You have two great minds there. You have John Elway, and I think he's great to be running a team. But I think you also have Peyton Manning, who's intelligent to realize what he is. He's a competitor, but I think he's also an intelligent individual to realize that he was brought in and he wasn't given, you know, he wasn't going to be able to play three or four years ago with that neck injury. You know, yeah. it, it was possible. It was about to be done. So he might be taking a page from the Kobe Bryant story in the next couple of weeks. And if Oslo keeps doing pretty good, he might just say, hey, at the end of this season, I'm going to announce my retirement because, you know, it is a physical game. You keep taking hits on an injured neck, look at Tony Romo. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Stuff, stuff who like would have thought that
0: Romo was going to be more fragile than Peyton Manning? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think, I think Peyton Manning will take it well, but I don't think it's going to be one of those, well, yeah, we're not going with you, we're going with him. I think it'll be one of those Peyton Manning is not going to want to go back in until – he's needed because i think he's more mature now and smart enough to know that at some point every team has to start working into the future it happened to him in indianapolis
0: I, I, although i think you i think you're right i think the best decision is to do what it takes to win games but inside i know for a fact they're going to put Peyton back in they got they're going to give him sure. the opportunity to 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 throw them out of a playoff win i and and I and I hope it happens sooner than later because I hate for it to be round one of the playoffs and then you put Peyton Manning back in and he has to lose another game and anyway I just think that in that game with the way he's been throwing the ball, not having a lot of touch, uh, he already said he couldn't feel the ball real well in his hands in cold weather. They would have lost that game. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt oh, yeah. about it would have lost that game.
1: I have to
0: agree with well, you. Well, play, take, we'll, yeah. take, we'll jump into some Kobe Bryant retirement talk real fast. But before we do, I want to play this interview. We'll take a break and leave you guys with this interview that I found, a very rare interview. I played this on the All-NBA podcast uh, last night. But this is Kobe Bryant's interview with the legendary broadcaster Chick Hearn, who who is uh, who has a bronze statue of himself outside of Staples Center. That tells you how big Chick Hearn was for Los Angeles Lakers, um, um, just just the whole entire Laker nation. But this is Chick Hearn interviewing Kobe Bryant um, as he made his first start ever in the NBA. Uh, So I want you to kind of hear what he has to say, and then we'll play his retirement speech, so to speak. And I want you to hear the contrasting difference between the two. So here's Kobe's first uh, start in the NBA. We'll be right back.
2: Well, he might be only 18 years and five months old, but this guy can do everything that the veterans can do and do it better, perhaps. Kobe Bryant, last night you got your first start as a pro. How'd it feel? Yeah, it felt good. It felt
4: good, you know, going out over you know, the starting of the lineup. You lineup. Know, I tried to keep, keep a straight face and keep a serious look, but, you know, I couldn't help but cracking a little smile.
2: Do you get a little feel of palpitation?
4: Sure. Yeah, sure. sure. because, I mean, you're so excited to get out there to the in the game, and you know, I haven't done that since high school. Right, right. You know, so I, I, I naturally get excited.
2: Speaking of high school, how big was the gym you played in at Marion? How many people? Uh, About 500 people. 500? About 500 people. This seat's 26,000.
4: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
2: <laughs> the last time we were here, you played, I think, about six minutes. I was looking right. at the box score. It didn't get in. It was garbage time when you got in. Now tonight, being in the real time, yeah. what's the difference?
4: Well, the difference is you have to make a contribution early on. You know, you have to go in there and... Uh, you know, produce right away and uh, get the ball into the big fella, get Eddie some looks. And, you know, whereas when I got in there uh, within the garbage time or the bench, you
2: know, I really didn't have to produce. I didn't, didn't have, have all the
4: pressure on me. You, know.
2: you had to produce Sunday, though, at Seattle. That was a tough game, pressure packed. You were in in the final minutes, and that bank shot you made from about 18 feet was a beautiful shot. Thank you very much. That uh, might have won the game. <laughs>
4: really? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I got put in that situation. You know I was thankful for getting put in that situation. now. I- That Once I was in there, I had to go in there and respond.
2: Do you like pressure? That's why you averaged 31 in high school, 12 (laughs) rebounds and so forth. Made 50 points a couple of times in a game. I guess so. You ran the show. Yeah, well, in high school I had to. Did you have a big center? I was a center. You were
4: the center? I was Shaquille O'Neal, Lower Mary High School. (laughs) Shaquille O'Neal. Blocking shots, pushing
2: the break, passing the ball and so forth. You remind me a lot of Magic in many ways. When he gets a chance to flourish, put on a little show for the fans, you do it at the end of a play, why not?
4: So oh, why not? I mean, it's there.
2: Might as well give the fans something they can enjoy. Right, absolutely right. Has Magic ever consoled you, ever told you anything about the game? Um, not really.
4: We really had a really had the opportunity to talk so far this season, but you know, I'm definitely looking forward to having some conversation
2: with him. I know you've had a lot of conversations with Jerry West. I don't know if you know how good he was as a player, but he was as good as ever played the position. Has he ever talked to you? Sure. Sure. We've talked
4: many times, whether it was coming off a screen or a jump shot or you know handling the ball in certain situations. Well, we've talked many times. What about Shaq? I mean, Shaq talked every day. Every day, whether it's in practice and he's blocking one of my shots or I'm getting a layup on him or something like that. You know, we're talking, we're giving advice to one another, we're pumping each other up at the same time.
2: He really, really is a nice man. Yeah,
4: yes. He he's like my older brother. You have an older brother? Just kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, with the Lakers
0: basketball
3: nut turkey.
0: And uh, that was a, uh 18-year-old bright-eyed kid. Kobe Bryant, on his first start in the NBA. And then you heard in his voice, I mean, the guy sounded so excited about basketball. A lot of people have never heard that interview before, but, I mean, you hear his enthusiasm for basketball and, and, and playing with the Lakers, the team he idolized, and even talked about Shaq being his big brother and making those points. I mean, you you can hear this guy is, like, fully dedicated to the sport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what happened
1: to
0: that Kobe? Kobe. That Kobe still exists, man. I don't know,
1: man.
0: I'm going to play play Kobe's kind of retirement talk real fast, and we'll come back and we'll talk some thoughts about Kobe. But listen to the difference now as Kobe, uh, after he made his announcement last week about retiring, this is what he said after that Pacers game. So oh, this gonna be good. So yeah. can you can you talk about when exactly did you make up your mind to officially retire, and how draining has this whole process been on you today? Knowing that the announcement was made uh, earlier today and you had to play
3: a it? I mean, you know, I, I've I've known for a while, right? And I've always said, you know, if anything changes, you know, then you know I'll change my mind. But you know, the, the problem became for me, it's uh, you know, what it, what does that really mean? I mean, a decision like this, you can't allow. You can't make that decision based on, you know, outside circumstances. I mean, it has to be an internal decision. And, and finally, I just had to just accept the fact that I this, I I don't want to do this <laughs> anymore. You know, it's, it's, and I'm okay with that. And, uh, you know, once I um, accepted that, then it became time to just let everybody know. I mean, why not? I mean, it just you know, takes a load off my shoulders and everybody else's. And uh, I think mean, it's just the right thing to do. Was it you emotionally drained tonight? No, not really. I mean I, you know, I was you know, it's the first time playing it back to back so I was a little drained for other reasons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but no, I mean it's it's you know, I, I, I honestly feel good about it. I really do. I mean I really feel at peace with it and um um you know, excited for what's to come honestly. Kobe with all you've accomplished, what's the hardest part about retirement? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's 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 uh it's tough to say now. Um, you know, I think that question becomes a lot easier to answer when training camp comes around next year, and I'm not there. You know I think that becomes a question that's a little bit easier to answer. Um, but, but but right now, I I honestly feel really at peace with it. You know, and uh, I've, I've man, I've worked so hard. I work really, really hard to try not to play <laughs> like crap, and you know I just do everything I possibly can, and and I feel good about that. Well, you had said we didn't
0: want this aerial tour. Now that you've announced it, or he to accept it, especially
3: starting back home. this is extremely uncomfortable for me. I mean, I, I, I you know, it's, for me, it's uh, I, I, the amount of respect that I have you know, for the fans on the road. Um, I honestly, um. You know, if anything, um, should be thanking them. And um and uh, I think uh just the mutual uh, to show a mutual appreciation and respect for each other to me is, is is enough. Um but I really can't thank the fans enough, man. I mean it has been such a, a motivator for me and such a catalyst for everything that I've accomplished. So um I have so much respect and love man. for them. We That's pretty we got too what that might be like. All right, we'll
0: stop it right there, but he goes on and on. But let me bring uh, D back in because a um, couple thoughts. First of all, Kobe's one of my favorite players of all time. I'll just go ahead and say that those of you guys who have ever heard me broadcast before know how much I love Kobe Bryant. Uh, it was one of my first big interviews I ever did was talking to him one-on-one. And that that was one of the only players, the athletes I kind of met that I felt a little bit starstruck by meeting because I always watched him for so long. But, you know, the the thing I find interesting about his announcement now is, you know, when he says things like, I can't do this anymore, or this is the time, I I, I think someone needs to remind Kobe that you've got about 64 games left in the season, (laughs) right? So, It's kind of like, if you're going to retire, just go ahead and do it now. I mean, don't even put yourself through going through this long process. But in in a way, I I understand why he did it now, because now as bad as the Lakers are, who lost tonight to the 76ers who snapped a 0-18 winless streak um, to beat the Lakers tonight, um, his first, his last game playing in Philadelphia, his hometown. But, now he gets to go around the league and everyone's focusing on how bad he is a, of a basketball player now. They can really focus on his career overall. No one's going to say anything bad about him anymore. Uh, the interviews are going to be different and they're not going to focus on what he did that night. So they could go through and lose every game from here on out and still pack out every arena, still sell plenty of merchandise, and he could still kind of go around and hear everyone congratulate him and, and tell their good stories and good feelings about Kobe and not be so much about, man, how bad he is right now. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why he decided to come out now with 60-plus games left to say that he, he doesn't want to do it anymore.
1: Perfect time. Like you said, the Lakers get a farewell tour, and uh, they can suck as much as they want. But, yeah, you you think about you nailed it right on the head. Uh, how the interviews have changed from, oh, Kobe was, you know, three for 14 last night and he's looking terrible, to, hey, that guy just played our our arena for the last time and he might have scored six points. But, man, it was good to see Kobe Bryant one last time, you know. It was, you know, nobody's expecting Kobe to put up 55 in his farewell tour. They just want to see Kobe hit a couple free throws and wave to the crowd and, you know. That's it. Like, you did a, he did a good thing, like you said. He he probably made the maker some money, saved himself a lot of heartache and sleepless nights. But you also, like you said, you know, I heard him say in the interview, I don't want to do this anymore. You got mm-hmm. sixty games left. you gonna have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you got to you do just something. can't do nothing. So, yeah, I I'm want to do this anymore. So but that's so so how do you I how do you rank people. Go ahead. Let me see, I did hear some life in his voice that I normally don't hear in interviews with Kobe Bryant, so maybe he is happy. Maybe basketball has been a stress on him for the past 10 years. Well, one of the things he went on to say in that interview
0: was, you know, how he knew it was time because he said when he would close his eyes and think, he would always think basketball, always, since he was a kid. But lately, when he closes his eyes, he thinks about things outside of basketball. Like he can't fully focus on basketball anymore, you know? And that's kinda of how he knew his obsession with basketball was was over, you know. Michael Jordan said kind of the same thing too. You know, once he quit obsessing about it and thinking about it, then it was it was it. It was a wrap.
3: Yeah.
1: You're right. I can I can see that. I mean same thing with me. Radio, it's like as much as I try to get away from it, I always seem to come right back to it. So, yeah, once you can't once you can live without it, it ain't the same. You you just find a new focus and I guess that's why Jordan went to golf. Maybe Kobe will go to golf now and try to get Tiger Woods in that.
0: I, I like to see Kobe be an analyst. Like I like to see him go to <laughs> okay.
1: ESPN or T- oh
0: yeah. Because he's gonna he's gonna be so raw. He's going to tell like it is. I mean, that's one thing about Kobe. He does not bite his tongue. You know, that's why That's why I would like to see Jordan as an analyst because Jordan would be the same exact way. I, Kobe's not going to bite his tongue for anybody. And I can see him just standing up there saying, you know what, that guy really sucks. Or how did this guy get into the league? Or this guy couldn't guard me now. You know, I, I can see him being that kind of way. You know, that that's, just, no, that's just his yeah. demeanor and how he is.
1: And that's probably why the ultimate competitors don't go back into uh, sports analysts, being a sports analyst. I mean, you got in the NFL, I think it's kind of different because you got guys like Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders. These guys are great competitors. But to be on the levels of the Jordans, the Kobe's, where you obsess about a sport enough to the point that your family probably hates it as much as you do uh, at that yeah. point, um, I don't think they can go back in sports analyze, because it is like that, you know, that guy is going to suck, and I could have done better than that, and, you know, and I don't feel like Kobe Bryant has a personality to pop on an ESPN, or a Fox, like, what is Kobe Bryant going to do? It's going to be, you know, we're going to analyze, you know, this with Kobe Bryant, he's going to be like when they bring a couple of these other NBA stars in there, and you're like, you know, they're all trying to talk sexy into the microphone, You you know, we pick a role, and Around the corner <laughs> like, you know, Hi, My, my name is Larry life. I'm a
0: Virgo <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly yeah, You're trying to get sexy on ESPN We're trying to hear some likes You know You, got, you know, it, it's, it's entertainment From a, a level that I don't think Kobe wasn't a sports entertainer Kobe was a sports player That's why I don't think he really Went out to entertain the people He was trying to entertain what Kobe Bryant wanted And that was to win Mm-hmm. And so I just a good think point. he has the personality to do it.
0: Well, that's a good point. You know, uh, what what I thought was kind of interesting too, bringing us back home home a little bit was whereas um, what Dirk had to say about the retirement when he heard about it, he just said, you know, Kobe was a ultimate competitor. Uh, I'm just paraphrasing off the top of my head, but I, one of the things he said at the end of this comment was, "Man, you know, I'm 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 older than Kobe." <laughs> you know, I'm, hmm. I'm only, you know, he's 60 some days older than Kobe. He's like, man, it's a shame that we're all getting so old that we're leaving the game, you know? And, and, it, and it, yeah. it is interesting to look at a guy like Dirk who's less than a year but still older than Kobe and the way he plays and the way Kobe plays. Now, he, he you know, Dirk never torn Achilles or separated his shoulder the, right after that or had the problems that could <laughs> play like Kobe played, but... It's just interesting how you know when father time catches up to you physically,
1: there's nothing you can do. You know what? You play around it. I think that's what Dirk has learned to do, and that's that has extended his career. Like you're going to get older, and you have to play different. You can't keep playing like you're 18, you know. And and you have to adjust the game, the fadeaway, the jump shot, the hook. You know. When's the last time you think you saw Dirk and Whiskey dunk a, a basketball? Like, I can't remember yeah. Yeah. Dirk on the fast break catches the oop. Like, I haven't seen Dirk catch a oop. I don't know if Dirk can even catch a hoop no more. He's <laughs> never
0: what, what he he caught a hoop in the uh, All-Star game. I remember that. He did catch a hoop oh, in the All-Star game last year.
1: Come on. <laughs> Kevin Hart catches hoops in the All-Star game. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Snoop so, catches a hoop in the yeah. All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But Dirk is playing smart. You know, he, he's even seen – from being a starter at certain times to being a role player and taking his time to be on the bench and saying, look, I'm not going to start tonight because I'm tired. And if I need right. on the bench, I can come off the bench, man. You think about a Dirk and a whiskey coming off the bench and giving you 12 to 15 every night mm-hmm. whenever you need it, you know, a couple, yeah. a couple rebounds, you know, and you, you're breeding and you're training your rookies, your centers in and you have that guy, to be on your bench, like you said, and, and, and to hone their skill and still be somehow productive. Um, I think Kobe just missed his window to be that sixth man, to to ensure his legacy because the past five, six years when they've been trying to build in L.A., Kobe should have started working his way onto the bench and producing mm-hmm. from the bench and starting to develop talent. Like I just think he selfishly took money from L.A. And selfishly, we took time. Well, I mean, well,
0: uh, he uh, uh, well, he he gave them twenty years of basketball. I mean, he's a, he he's the only player in NBA history to spend twenty years with the same team. I mean, he is the greatest Laker of all time. I mean, I, I think he deserved everything they gave him. They they made a ton of money off of Kobe, and he did him one did. another big. He did he did him another big favor by announcing their retirement early enough. Where they can make all the money they can off of it. His final game, I think, is April thirteenth, and it's a home game at that. So, I mean, they, they, they're going to make a ton of money off of Kobe
1: now. Well, like you said he did him a favor. He's going to make a lot of money. He's made a lot of money. He's going to need a lot of money because now that the league is not paying him no more, he's probably going to get a nice little retirement. But you know, Kobe's going to have to. Uh, I'm going to see what he wants. He's going to do. Is he going to do endorsements? Is he going to host? What's going to happen to Kobe Bryant? <laughs> oh yeah, his legacy so, will probably okay, so, stay around. You,
0: okay. As we as we close out our show, a good question to close out on is a year from now, what will Kobe Bryant be doing? well, I say five years from now,
1: Kobe Bryant will be doing what? I say Kobe Bryant'll be doing what Snoop is doing. I think he'll be funding <laughs> uh his kids' basketball leagues and stuff like that and stuff like that, but I don't think Kobe's going to do anything in the NBA. He might, at some point, I don't think he has that, that drive, that desire like Jordan does, you know, to own a team and and be in there and be the business guy. I think Kobe's going to take his money, he's going to take his hot wife, and he's going to walk off in the sunset, and he's going to slowly make money off of shoes, Kobe Bryant jerseys, appearances, um, the occasional uh little coaching deal but yeah I think he's going to he's just going to kind of become a member of LA society or wherever and just be but you'll just you know he'll surface every now and then like some of the old greats at the all-star game and stuff like that but I don't think you're going to see Kobe being like Michael Jordan is I think I think I think Kobe's going to be
0: involved with some team in an ownership group or something, it, it, it may not even be an NBA team, maybe a uh, international team. I, I think he's going to be involved some kind of way in basketball. But, well, well he that does, does it like for soccer. us. Go ahead. He does like soccer. He, he does right? like
1: bro.
0: So. Yeah, you never know. Well, that does it for another episode of Owned and Fish, episode zero zero two. Make sure you guys check us out next Tuesday night. We'll be in studio next Tuesday, so check us out on ntxgame.com. Go to iTunes and download the show there. Uh, You can also pick it up on YouTube now, Uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, you name it, everywhere. It's it's everywhere. So follow us online. Follow Omidy at at, uh, the777kid. You follow me at Rodney R. Fisher on Twitter. Uh, so, in other words, uh, we'll see you guys next week, and I'll go back to New England where it's all Patriots all the time, I guess. So
1: go Broncos! <laughs> all
0: right, thanks for y'all tuning in. We'll see you next week. Only then, fish.
1: We out. Funny